Hello, and welcome to Exploring Health Equity. In this podcast, we'll hear from community members, doctors, professors, and more on urban health disparities. From the Rodham Institute at George Washington School of Medicine and Health Sciences in Washington, D.C., I'm Diana Flott. And I'm David Flott. If I was to be a doctor right now, I have a lot of family members who are sick, and if I was a doctor, I could find my own way to help them or cure them. This episode, the second of the series, will focus on the problem of underrepresentation of minorities amongst doctors and in the medical field. In the U.S., only about 9% of physicians identify as African American, American Indian, Alaska Native, Hispanic, or Latino. In D.C. specifically, although the patient population is 46% African American, only about 15% of D.C. physicians are African American. The 38% white and 2% Hispanic Latino physician population serve the 37% white and 11% Hispanic populations of D.C. Data from the Association of American Medical Colleges suggests that physicians from backgrounds underrepresented in medicine are significantly more likely to practice primary care than white physicians, as well as to practice in impoverished areas, as well as those areas federally designated as medically underserved. Research also indicates that diversity in the physician workforce improves the quality of care received by patients. For those who are financially disadvantaged, Medicine is an even more difficult route. Medical school is pricey. According to the Association of American Colleges, the median four-year cost of medical school, including expenses and books, in 2013 was 278455 for private schools and 207866 for public schools. Not only is tuition expensive, but additional costs like flights for interviews and test preparation can add up quickly. For those from financially or educationally disadvantaged backgrounds, it may also be harder to find doctor role models. Several Rodham Institute programs focus on bringing information about careers in medicine to underserved communities in D.C. Students in middle and high school received opportunities to learn from and shadow medical professionals. Ms. Tracy Bass, the Director of Workforce Pipeline Programs, describes the beginning and evolution of the Health Education Leadership Program. So I was speaking with Dr. Albayumi one day and I said, well, what if we had a camp for kids of the staff here? And it would be to introduce them into health careers, but also to teach them how to be health advocates. And it's of, and let it be of no cost to the family, we sponsored it. And that's how HELP was born. So when we were started, we did um, like day programming. So we would have the kids for a day, a day here and a day there. And now our programming runs a week to two weeks long. And then we try to meet um, one weekend out of the month of out of every month, and then we'll do special stuff sprinkles along the way. So it's longitudinal now. It was seasonal in the beginning. So I I, mean, I love I love I love the kids, and I love becoming a 
a permanent part of their life. I have kids that started with our initial program um, four years ago who are now college students. And I still talk to them, text them, and know what's going on in their lives. And we still help them in any way. So for me, the programming isn't, um, you know, one and done. It's about a long-term relationship and helping them along the way through their education and careers. Here, Dr. Albayumi, the executive director of the Rodham Institute, speaks about the significance of their youth programs, both to the mission of Rodham Institute as well as personally. There are about 100 people from all kinds of backgrounds from all over the city, from local government to even you know some of the federal government agencies, uh, people who didn't necessarily have a formal affiliation, uh, clinicians, academicians, nursing, you know, everybody, Association of Black Cardiologists, Black Nurses Association, 100 Black Men. And first thing we did was we said, you know, we're interested in making a difference. We want to be an action-oriented institute that impacts health equity in D.C. What should we focus on? And we were told education and food is that they wanted education and food to be the things that we focused on. To me, the thing that really brings tears to my eyes is when I see a young person who may not have had a chance to get an education, get an education. And we have one person right now who it was going to be very tough for him to go to college. And so through our partnership with the Posse Foundation, he actually got a full ride scholarship to University of Wisconsin and is now looking at PhD programs in biology. I look at the light bulb that goes on when kids are in our programs and they get excited about becoming health champions, even if they're not gonna go into a health field because who knows what you're gonna be when you're in sixth grade, but that they are educating and impacting their family and telling them to eat better, to walk more, or, or whatever they may be doing, or now they're educating others. They learn how to do compression-only CPR, and they're part of the people that are training others. So I think I'm most passionate about anything that involves sort of younger people and supporting their growth development and their passions. Of course, the other work that we do is important, you know, educating others about social determinants of health and health equity, um, giving voice to community-based organizations or not-for-profits that are doing excellent work. But I would have to say it's, it's the kids. Ms. Bass also had her most impactful Rodham Institute experience during the HELP program. So this experience is, is quite bittersweet, but it's the one that I probably talk about most. And it was in our first year, um, we had the kids here on campus and we were in the Marvin Center. And so I had asked some of the African-American faculty and residents to come over and talk to the students. But I also asked them to dress down because the white coat can be intimidating. And I wanted the children to see people who looked like them that were actually physicians, but I didn't want it to be in the context of a white coat and a stethoscope. I wanted them to see that these are just regular people who went to school, got their education, and are now getting their training. 
And I think that when you do that, that they can then see themselves being able to do it. So um, one of our old residents, uh, Tiffany Turner, who's actually, she lives and works locally. Now she, um, originally she was from Kentucky, but she lives and works locally at Kaiser here in DC. And so Tiffany was talking um, to the students and the young lady who was sitting beside me, she kept nudging me, nudging me. And I'm like, what? And she's like, Miss Tracy, is she really a doctor? And I'm like, yes, because uh, Dr. Turner is quite petite and very close to this to the size of her. You know, she was she's tiny. I mean, she, I think she's probably five feet tall, you know, so she's little. And um, and I said, yes, she is. And a few more minutes pass and she's nudging me again. And she's like, so I can be a doctor. And I'm like, absolutely. And then she looked at me and said, nobody's ever told me that. And so at that moment, it made me realize how important it is for them to have these interactions um, with physicians in general, nurses, um, and all, all of the layers of healthcare, but the importance of them who see, of seeing people who look like them in these roles. Because when I asked them, I wanted to, to get an idea of what they thought what their generalization of a, a physician and a nurse were. So I said, if you had to describe a physician in four words, what would you say? They said white. Other have said Jewish, particularly. They said old. And they said male. And then for nurses, they said uh, friendly. They said African or Filipino, which as you know, a lot of a lot of people of African descent and a lot of Filipino people um, train as nurses and work as nurses all over the city. And the other thing um, that they said was helpful. So they had their own ideas that were non-inclusive of themselves in a physician or nurse. So I think it's pretty safe to say that in most health careers, they did not see it as a space um, where they could be. The impact is actually bi-directional. So I think for the middle and high school students, they get exposures that they would not have gotten. They learn a lot about careers that they may not have otherwise learned. Most of them um, had, had never been on a college campus before. Um, and we always try to ha make sure that they have super experiences, like they got to go to the White House, to the medical unit, and meet the people who take care of the first family and the vice president and his family and the Secret Service. We also went to um, the GW School of Nursing Simulation Center where they got to see, um, they have these awesome training, um, these human simulation dolls that are life-size. They talk, their skin feels very real. So they got to go and physically um, watch and participate in, in some um, simulation activities um, with, the, with the mannequins. Uh, I think, and I think that they learn a, a lot socially with us they, because they get exposed to areas and people and things that they just have not been a part of before. 
and for the faculty and the residents and fellows who have never been to Southeast in the neighborhoods um, and have never worked with um, a group of kids who are underprivileged and live in areas that um, may not be the best, they are oftentimes afraid that something is going to happen, which is natural because everything that the vast majority of what they see on the news about the areas from which the children come from is negative. So I think that um, both sides take away a lot. Um, they, they learn and understand a little more about the needs and how these young people are affected by um, the social determinants of health at a very early age when, when they're not in a position to really make choices for themselves, the effects of social determinants of health and what they have already done in their lives. So I think, it, I think it's definitely um, bi-directional gains. We learn a lot from them. Um, hopefully they're learning a lot from us and we're keeping their interests peaked and we just try to let them see a little bit of, of everything so they can choose which things they like to like the most about health careers. But at the end of the day, even if they don't choose a health career, we just want all of them to attend community college, college, some form of a post-secondary education. We spoke to Zaire, a seventh grader at Seed School of Washington, D.C., about his experience in the HELP program this past summer. You had to ask a stranger what did he want to do in life, and if he wanted to become a doctor, what would you do? And that was one of my favorites. And we also worked on exercising and how exercise can help your body. People who are sick because... If I was to be a doctor right now, I have a lot of family members who are, like, sick. And I, if I was a doctor, I could find my own way to help them or cure them. If I decided to, I would go. I, when I graduate from college, I could probably go to medical school or something, and then they probably can help me. I could get my degree from there, and then I have my thing so I could be a doctor. His mother, Charmaine Kennard, found out about this program through her job in the George Washington Medical Faculty Associates Building. And here she describes the informational value of the program. It opened our eyes to different possibilities, like medical field, you know, basketball. I know that's one of the things he wants to do, but I want him to also speak, you know, future-wise, things he can become when he gets older, like career, that sort of thing. These educational programs help work towards more diversity in the medical field, as well as more health advocacy within underserved communities. Hopefully, with continued funding, the Rodham Institute will continue to use their engagement with youth to promote health equity in D.C. This podcast series is led by David Law and Diana Law at the Rodham Institute. We'd like to thank the Rodham Institute at the George Washington School of Medicine and Health Sciences and the Johns Hopkins Digital Media Center. If you'd like to find out more or donate to the Rodham Institute, please visit our website at smhs.gwu.edu slash Rodham Institute. Thanks for tuning in to Exploring Health Equity.